BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week, and I'm Tom Barn. That's right, we are a Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-M, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. And when you go to the social media, Facebook and Twitter, make sure it's a hashtag SGN as well. I got to tell you guys. We have a huge, huge week of sports ahead of us, and we're coming off of a huge week of sports. Obviously, we had some UFC, we had some boxing, we had the the horse racing, which was an 80-to-1 underdog winner. Yeah, that was unbelievable. We're in the midst of the NHL playoffs, in the midst of the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball. I mean, it's all right here. Even the NFL. You're starting to see kind of a little bit of rumblings there. You're starting to see videos. We saw Tua throwing a deep ball. Well, maybe not so deep to Tyreek Hill. All of that has been coming out. Look, we've been really concentrating recently on the NBA playoffs, on the NHL playoffs, and that's all great. That's all fine and good. But look, Major League Baseball is a time where we can really make a lot of money. And one of the trends that we are seeing in Major League Baseball, very specifically here, are unders in games. I've always been an advocate of starting pitching, but recently, in the recent years, starting pitching has become less. I mean, we have Tampa Bay doing an opener and whatnot. But starting pitching has really elevated their game, but scoring is down across the league. People are blaming a dead ball. There's a lot of conversation out there, and a lot of articles are being written that they're using different balls during primetime games, different balls during the regular game. We're watching Exit Velo and StatCast and all of these kind of... uh, you know, computerized, generated statistical analysis going, yeah, the ball just is not carrying. And you can watch it with your own eyes. You see a ball carrying out, and you go, oh, that's gone, and it barely hits the warning track, which we've seen a couple of times this week, as a matter of fact. And you can blame the shortened spring training. Sure, that's part of it. You can blame the bad weather. Sure, that's part of it. But we're hitting historic lows in scoring. Historic lows in scoring in a time where we're sitting back and we're saying, yeah, there's no DH. Scoring should be up massively across the entire league. Instead, it's down. It's down at historic levels. They're calling this the new dead ball era. Maybe it's launch angle. Maybe it's guys going for too many home runs. Maybe it's the pitchers being ahead because of spring training. Maybe it's a bad weather. Maybe it's the humidors, which we've covered on the show. Um, Now, every team has a humidor. Maybe it's a culmination of all of it. But the reality is, is that if you're worth betting on sports, hey, the under is looking like it's just a great bet, and betting on starting pitchers this year looks good right now. When will it go back? When will it eventually even out? And I say when because it will eventually even out. I just don't know if we're thinking about 
the terms that we're always talking about, which are going out there and talking about, you know, numbers that are just ridiculous and said groundbreaking. I don't think we're going to get back to that, at least not this year. So what we have seen are a lot of the books are starting to adjust. They're starting to move their numbers. We've seen quite a few sixes and a halves out there. You couldn't find a six and a half last year. You know, quite a few six and a halves out there. Six and a halves just this week between there was a there was a, a six and a half for a little while just this week um, between you you had guys like Whitlock and Kyle Wright. Okay, so they're not massive names. There was a seven line posted. A seven between the Marlins and Diamondbacks because Madison Bumgarner and Jesus Lazardo were on the mound. So it doesn't have to be these outstanding, huge names. I remember a time, and I'm going, oh, going way back. Not really that far back. Six, seven years ago, you got two aces. You might have had a six line out there. You had a three over-under for the first five innings. So they are adjusting, and we're going to keep an eye on this and see how much the books adjust and if they over-adjust. What I want to do today, though, is bring on a guest, Jim Cott, to talk about some of this, talk about the New York Yankees and their great start. I'm talking about, and his brand new book, Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. He is a 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame inductee. That's just really cool. You guys probably know him as the long-term broadcaster, but 25-year playing career, of course. Jim Cott. Jim, how are you doing today? Doing just fine. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into the book, I really want to just say, hey, congratulations on the Hall of Fame. I just took my eight-year-old son to Cooperstown for the first time this winter. Um, just seeing his eyes light up and the plaques and the stories. Uh, to be in that room, it, it's just unbelievable. It really is. So I want to say congratulations. Was there a time that you th- said to yourself, you know what, I, I'm just not going to make it and, and kind of got down? Yeah, I, I don't think I got down, but I, I was sort of realistically thinking uh, the Hall of Fame was in my rearview mirror. I really thought most of the uh, pitchers that are in there, if they're, if they're not relief specialists, they were pretty dominant starters. And I had, a, a, you know, a couple dominant years, but my career was mostly done over a period of time and not, you know, dominant like a Sandy Koufax. So, uh, but I, I was uh, I was so grateful that... Uh, you know, I had a committee this year that uh, guys I played against, played with, executives that actually saw me as well as media representatives. And I, I think, uh, you know, they they rewarded longevity and dependability. You know, look, I'm in the media, you're in the media, but I think there's, there's something a little bit more special when your contemporaries vote you in, right? As opposed to just the writers and whatnot. There's something more special about the people that you played with saying, no, you were one of the best. You were one of the best. That, I think, has to mean something more. Uh, no question. I think any time you get the approval of, uh, of guys, as you mentioned, that you played with or against and that actually saw your career, uh, it's, uh, it's much more meaningful, uh, I think. And so, for me, it was worth the wait. Guys, we're on the phone with Jim Cott. Go check out his new book, Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. You mentioned Sandy Koufax, and I love the excerpts uh, from, from the book, and I, I read <laughs> pretty much cover to cover. It's only 300 pages. I don't know how you got 25-year career in 300 pages, but um, <laughs> you talked about Koufax, and I have argued on my shows for the last couple of years that I think that Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher that I've ever seen, and he can stand up all time. I watch Pedro, I watch Maddox, people put their name into it. It seems like maybe you'd be on the Koufax bandwagon because the things that that are in that book, just give us a little bit about your opinion on Sandy Koufax. 
Well, the reason I put Sandy up at the top, and it's so hard to compare era to era uh, because of the, the innings and the complete games. And, you know, the toughest outs to get are those last six, the last three. That's why there are very few closers. There are fewer closers that stand up over a period of time. And so Sandy pitched, you know, for a team that didn't score him a lot of runs. He he won a lot of close one-run games, and he had to pitch a lot of complete games and, and pitched uh, the last three innings of a lot of those stressful games uh, you know, leaving the, Do- the Dodgers to to a pennant, and uh, I take nothing away from uh, from the Kershaw, Scherzers, Verlanders. Uh, they're they're in that their class. They they can't help it that people count their pitches and take them out before you know they really have to. But and that's why I kind of I put Sandy at the top, and that's why it's difficult to uh, to compare pitchers era to era. Yeah, San- Sandy's got to be right there. What about today's pitchers? Okay, um, you said in the book, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, you wanted to always throw. If you could pitch, it didn't matter. You know, you wanted to always pitch. You you wanted to throw. Today's starters, you mentioned it, the shortened innings, the uh, get to 100 pitches and everybody starts freaking out. Sometimes you, you see the memes come up and you see the Nolan Ryan through 200 pitches, you know. I mean, will we ever go back to that or is it going to be even decreased more where we see starters only going three innings? I think it, it appears that it's going to become more and more specialized. Uh, I think that the all the data now, you know, they're starting to show well the third time through the batting order. I mean, the, uh, Warren Spahn told me when I got a pitching lesson from him in the 60s, he said, now, kid, when the game's tied in the seventh, the game's just starting. You have to learn how to pitch Mickey Mantle differently in that fourth at bat than the first. So it, it's not a matter of, pitchers today being tired and can't go through the batting order the third time. But today is so much emphasis on power and just pitching one way. They don't necessarily pitch to the score. Run lead. Uh, you didn't get, you didn't want the guy to walk. You didn't care if you struck him out, but you want to make him put it in play. And occasionally you'd give up like a catfish or a Robin Roberts. You'd give up a lot of solo home runs, but now every pitch seems to be designed to make the hitter swing and miss. And every swing is made to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's what is different about today's game versus the games back in my era. What about today's day uh, that we're sitting in here? As of today, we're recording during the week, as of today, Major League Baseball teams are averaging four runs per game in April. That was the lowest average for a month since 1981. There are about 0.26 runs per game for per team fewer League-wide batting average is 231. That's through April. That's the lowest in Major League history. The OPS is the lowest. Is this a deadened ball, or is this a combination of all the things you just kind of talked about? Well, I think it's a combination. I Just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard about the new new ball, if it is new, the ball that apparently the pitchers are, are feeling that it's a, a little more of a porous or rougher cover, which the way it was when, when I pitched, and the seams are higher. And there's uh, there's a little more drag on the ball, so that's I think the reason the ball doesn't seem to be carrying as much. The the other thing is the you know a hitter now uh, faces three or four different pitches. He, he seldom gets three at bats against the same pitcher. Uh, maybe he gets two, whereas years ago you'd get four. So he's looking at a different pitcher, and you're looking at guys that come in out of the bullpen 
that are just going to throw as hard as they can for one inning and they're done. So I think that makes it a lot more difficult for hitters. And then you combine that with the fact that uh, pitchers aren't pitching to contact. They want hitters to swing and miss. And hitters are swinging for the fences. So they're trying to launch every ball. If they hit 300 fly balls a year, uh, 8% of them, according to statistics, will be home runs. And that means they'll make a lot of money. If they just try to put the ball in play and beat the shift and hit singles like uh, Pete Rose, Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs, uh, hitters like that aren't around anymore. The game is just played entirely. It's played differently. And uh, I don't think it's as appealing, but that's the difference of the two eras. We're on the phone with Jim Cott. The new book is Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. Hey, Jim, you mentioned that. I was watching the Yankee. I'm a lifelong Yankee fan, right? So I listened to you for years. But I was watching the Yankee game the other day, and when they were in Kansas City, George Brett was in the booth. And George Brett kind of made a, an offhanded comment that I put out on Twitter. I was like, wow. George Brett said, man, if they put a shift on me, I'd hit 600 because good hitters basically adjust. And, you know, the, the younger generation doesn't understand how good those hitters were to say, no, I'm going to put it right there. George said, I'm going to put it right, right next to the shortstop. And I believe he would have done it, right? Uh, I think so. I mean, Rod Carew, who I played with uh, for years and against some, uh, in batting practice, he tried to, uh, you know, we, we used to play a lot of pepper. I don't think players and kids today even re- remember what pepper was. But uh, Rod would just try to serve one ball out to, to hit everybody in the outfield during batting practice. There might be five or six pitchers, some uh, utility players out there during batting practice. He tried to hit one to each guy, just making contact, hit the ball all over the field. Well, now uh, batting practice has become a, a home run derby show. And hitters wonder why all of a sudden you'll see some guy out of a lineup with a strained oblique, which, uh, you know, in, in my era, the only thing I, I knew about oblique, it sounded like geometry. I didn't know it had anything to do with but it. But it's caused really by these guys hit so much batting practice, take so much batting practice, and every swing, is a power swing. You know, they'll take a few to warm up, but uh, there again, that that's the difference, and that's why I, I feel the same way uh, as George Brett. If they put the shift on hitters like George and Carew and Tony Gwynn, they, they'd hit 600. But, of course, uh, if the game were played today the way they played in, in George's era, in my era, they wouldn't have the shift because, you know, hitters weren't interested in just hitting home runs, if they hit the ball hard, okay, that's a home run. But they wanted they wanted to hit 300. And uh, batting average now, it doesn't even mean anything. It's, uh, it's home runs and runs scored. And as you pointed out, they're not really scoring as many runs as if you went back to the days when you p- tried to put a few singles together. Yeah, think about what Whitey Herzog, he'd be a uh... – uh, really angry the, the the run run get the guy over I mean it's just it's just done it, it, it it's it's crazy that it had just gone away what do you think the answer is is the answer to ban the shift like they are you know basically going to do I don't think so well I, I hope they do that I don't know if that'll be the answer I mean I I just think it's uh, I mean the most exciting year I had in my 25 seasons was 1982 when I was a member of the St. Louis Cardinals and we won the World Series and we hit 67 home runs as a team. We stole 200 bases. And Whitey Herzog's motto every game was, get me 10 singles, guys. And every time Willie McGee hit a single, it became a double. 
And, uh, you know, that was such exciting baseball for the fans to watch. And I don't see us going back to that type of game anytime soon. And that's why you see uh, three-and-a-half-hour games. You saw <laughs> Oakland. That was pretty sad last night. I think they had 2,500 people in the stands. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, th- I think the appeal – uh, of the game uh, to to fans, and I know there's a big push out to try to attract young fans, but I know I have a few grandsons uh, anywhere from 19 to 25, and they they follow the game to see how their team is doing, but they don't sit down and watch the game. Uh, you, you know, people are at the game looking at their cell phone, and they're not really into, hey, what's the guy going to do here? Is he going to try to get him over? Are they going to hit and run? Are they going to steal? No. They just wait and see uh, what the, the you know tape measure says about the next home run. And to me, uh, that's not exciting. That's just batting practice. No more get him on, get him over, get him in. We are on the phone with Jim Cott, newly inducted 2022 Baseball Hall of Fame inductee. Go check out his new book, Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball. And Jim, before I let you go, I am a lifelong Yankee fan, like I've said a couple of times. I got to ask you about the Yankees. I came into the season probably more enthusiastic than most people. I thought that they made some good trades last year or good additions last year with Rizzo, obviously, what he's doing. But I love this bullpen. Talk to me about this bullpen. Michael King, Clay Holmes. Um, is it sustainable? Is this the pitching coach? How can they be this good? Or is it, hey, they've played some pretty bad teams? Well, I think uh, I remember uh, meeting uh, Michael King a few years ago. He wanted to be a starter, but I think he's all of a sudden as you mentioned, developed into a dominant reliever. And you make a point of the important uh, factors in today's game. I mean, Whitey Herzog, that year we won it in 1982, he said, I'm going to build my bullpen, my pitching staff, from the ninth inning back. And uh, we didn't have a lot of complete games then. We had solid starters that would go, you know, six innings. Sometime Joaquin Andahar would go more than that. But uh, the team with the best bullpen won, and I think, there again, that's the reason for the Yankees. You see Judge hitting a lot of home runs, and they're uh, they're a power-laden team, but they're doing it by shutting the opposition down the last three innings, and there's not a lot of teams that can do that. Jim, thank you so much for all of your time. Again, congratulations on the Baseball Hall of Fame. And guys, go check out the book, Good as Gold, My Eight Decades in Baseball by Jim Cott. Just fantastic stuff right there by Jim. And guys, we're going to take a quick timeout. When we get back, we're going to talk about the NFL releasing the schedules. Yeah, look, I know that it's not even NFL season, but the NFL schedule release has become almost an entity of its own. It actually feels like the NFL draft. It feels like there's excitement around it. And early bettors can kind of start looking at lines, seeing where you want to look at it. And when the numbers come out, which they will come out in short order here, you could start to kind of pinpoint some games, especially opening weekend games. What we have there, we'll start to take a look at all that as well. All right, let's take a quick time out. When we get back, we'll get into it, guys. Right after this. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, guys, let's take a look at the odds for the AL MVP. And it was a huge week for some MVP guys. Actually, a huge night. Actually, uh, uh, when you go back and you look at Tuesday night, Aaron Judge hit a game-winning home run, the first game-winning home run of his career. He's got 10 on the year. Mike Trout hit two home runs in that game. So let's take a look at the MVP odds. Shohei Otani is the leader at minus 110. Aaron Judge and Mike Trout are both 7-1. to one. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is at 8-1. to one. Byron Buxton, Jose Ramirez, Wander Franco coming at 10-1. to one. Jordan Alvarez, 30-1. to one. Luis Robert, 50-1. to one. That is what are the odds. I do find it kind of interesting that uh, Shohei is leading the way. I mean, right now, you it's anyone's game. I mean, it's a month in. No one has been more impressive than Aaron Judge for what he's done for his first place team. And I'll tell you what, on his own team, Mike Trout is is better than Shohei by far. His numbers are are by far better than Otani's. I mean, it's it's not even close right now. I mean, my, Mike Trout right now, 337 average, d- depending on wh- what day you're listening to this. He's almost batting 340. He's got 25 runs, over 20 RBIs. He's got nine bombs. I mean, are we kidding? And if your sole argument is, well, Otani, you know, he also pitches. Well, that's what Otani does. He also pitches. Then, you know, every year we're just going to give it to him. Then then, then Phillips from uh, Tampa Bay should get some, <laughs> a little love. Oh, by the way, Mike Trout hitting a home run off of him. And, and Anthony Rendon going up on Tuesday night, going up to bat, lefty, and hitting a home run lefty. My, uh, Anthony Rendon has more lefty home runs than Trevor Story on his new team has total home runs. And he had his uh, shin guard on the wrong leg. It, it, it was just, it was comical all the way around. Um, what is not comical and something that we as sports betters now have to readjust to, and you started to see it come out here and there. This week, David Robertson was diagnosed with COVID. He missed some time. Adam Wainwright was diagnosed with COVID, missed some time. Guys sprinkling around the league were missing time with COVID. But this week, Major League Baseball announced that the Cleveland and White Sox game on Wednesday would be completely postponed because of, quote-unquote, following multiple positive COVID-19 tests within the Cleveland Guardians organization. First time we had to deal with this this year. Now, we've told you guys for years, and you should be well prepared for this, to make sure when you're betting Major League Baseball, you're very aware of the lineups. You're very aware of who could be out, who could be out for COVID, how long they could be out for. Be be real cautious, especially you fantasy players and everything else. You have to be very cautious about this. So we're back into the position of don't make bets the night before, right? I mean, you might get a better number. Don't make bets the night before. Don't bet on starting pitchers unless you say listed pitcher. We have to start to basically navigate around COVID again. Now I'm not look I'm I'm <laughs> I am not a medical professional. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm not going into any of that. What I'm just telling you is from a betting perspective and a sports perspective, COVID's back. Whether it's going to be a massive impact, I don't know. But what I do know is it is impacting things as of right now. 
and impacting things right now, it, it's just, uh, it's worrisome. I mean, it really is concerning when you're really looking at the overall scope of what we're dealing with in Major League Baseball. It is a concerning trend that we've had to live with for a couple of years, but you just don't get numb to it, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make it better that we've dealt with it for years, but we have to readjust, kind of reset our sights, say, okay, here we go, uh, we're dealing with COVID again. And that's how we have to go about this. All right, let's turn the page there and let's talk um let's talk about uh, look, the NBA and NHL are still putting on a pretty good playoff performances. I mean, they really are. Most of these series are pretty close depending again when you're listening to this podcast. Bucks and Celtics were tied 2-2. Um the Warriors had a, a 3-1 lead and we know about the whole situation with with John Morant and what that was all about. The Sixers came storming back until Miami came back at home, and then they blew them out. That series looks like it's almost destined to go seven. The Suns-Mavericks, look, there was some blowouts this week, but Phoenix leads that one 3-2. That series almost looks like it's destined to go seven. So we are going to, look, the Bucs Celtics looks like it's destined to go seven as well. So it looks like we're going to have a couple of game sevens at at least a couple of game sevens. I'll give you my thoughts on the games, but first I want to go to Bet Rivers, um, numbers here for the NBA championship. They have the Warriors at plus two to one to win the NBA championship. Phoenix plus 225, Boston plus 450, Miami Heat plus 600, Milwaukee Bucks plus 800, Philadelphia 76ers are 30 to one. And if you like Dallas and Memphis, 50 to one and 100 to one, uh, that, that's that. But in the Eastern Conference, Boston is the favorite tied 2-2 at plus 140. That's interesting. They're tied 2-2. I'm recording this, you know, during the week. They're still, they're tied 2-2 and, and they're plus 140. What about the Warriors? Warriors are minus 120 to win the Western Conference. You get Phoenix at even money right now, if that's something that you like. That's some interesting lines, guys. That is some interesting futures plays that you could grab right now. Now, it depends on which sportsbook you go to, which numbers you could get, but these are some interesting numbers. If you are somebody that wants to take a shot against kind of the Warriors, well, Phoenix is even money right now. That makes some sense. If you're somebody that likes the Celtics, I just don't know how you could be laying that kind of money right now, even as good as the Celtics have looked. Uh, I guess because you're looking at Miami and Philly and just saying, it doesn't really matter. Once the Celtics get by the Bucs, if you this is your mentality, once the Celtics get by the Bucs, well, no problem. See, I like to do that before game fours, uh, fives of series. When it's 2-2-2 two, 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 and it's a game four, I love to, and this is for the future later on as well, I love to take the underdog for the futures play, right? So the Bucks for the futures play, if you think if you think the winner of the Bucks celtics is going to come out, why not take the Bucks for the future play? If they win that game five, the odds are going to be skyrocketing in the other direction. So it's something to pay attention to when you're looking at that. As far as the series go, look, I do think, and I think that we all kind of uh, just believe that Miami or the Sixers will be run over in the next round, whether it be the Celtics or the Bucks. Giannis is just on a mission. Giannis has looked absolutely fantastic in this series. When has the guy not looked fantastic? I think the debate needs to be closed that he is the best. <laughs> He's just the flat-out best player when you're talking about um, – you know, overall and uh, what when you include defense, offense, and you also include what is, is just such an underrated portion right now. Weirdly, we just overlook the playoffs. But Giannis is the best player in the playoffs for the last three years. 
For the last three years, he is. Uh, Jason Tatum might be still making that jump up into superstardom. I know a couple of guys put out a list of top tens this week, and Jason Tatum wasn't on it. And I still said, I think he's got to get by the Bucks to make my top ten. Is he in the top 15? Yeah. I mean, but there's there's a difference between top 10 and top 15. He is there, though. I wanted this series to go seven. I believed this series probably would go seven. It looks like the series is probably going to go seven. But even if it doesn't, I think we've had a fantastic series. I think we've seen two teams that are not going away for the next couple of years. I mean, you look at the scope of the East. Yeah, these are two teams that are not going away. Who's not throwing money on the Bucks and the Celtics next year to win the East? I mean, you have to. And looking at the lines, the early lines, the early release lines, and you guys could find these around, uh, Bucks and Celtics are going to be massive favorites in the series over the Sixers or Miami. It doesn't really matter who they get to. So their next test, once they get past here, whether it be the Bucks or the Celtics, the next test is going to be really the championship. And when you say, look, the Celtics are growing up, even if they get to the finals and they don't win the finals, hey, they, they really grew up. As far as Giannis and what he's doing, we got to start looking at this differently. The Bucs are getting back to a championship again. We got to keep saying that again because I think people are missing the fact of how good this Bucks team is. And you start to look at this fact of, of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago where their defense is really stepping up. Let's talk about that Miami Sixers series. You know, in the easy handicapping portion is just, hey, look, when the Heat are at home, you take the Heat. When Sixers are in, in Philly, you take the Sixers. But it is interesting how this series has kind of gone. The Heat dominated the first two games, but Joel Embiid wasn't out. All right, Joel Embiid comes back. The Sixers win the next two games. Yeah, but then they get their doors blown off by 35 points in a game that he was at. And it was a weird situation. It was a weird game. It was a weird kind of series because, look, the Sixers went out, they scored 92 and 103 points in the first two games. Then they scored 99 in a win. So Miami was doing their thing for three straight games, even though it was only a 2-1 to one win, right? Then they go out and they allow 116, very on Miami defense characteristic, and then they, they shut them down for 85. So you're starting to look at the next series and the next games and what Miami's coming up. You've got to think that this Miami defense has figured it out, right? I mean, you've got to think that this Miami defense is going to carry this on in, in the rest of the playoffs and where they're going. You have to think that Miami's found the formula because it looks like that's just kind of an outlier now. Miami's offense is basically run on Jimmy Butler. I mean, the guy's got two 40-point playoff games in this series alone. The guy goes crazy. But their offense, while they can be proficient, is secondary in their own mind. You are looking at this team, and you're looking at this is an under-style team. They want to play unders. And I often talk about that in football. What does the football coach want to play? If he wants to play close games, do they want to play unders? Do they want to play running games? It doesn't always work out that way, but more times than not, that is the formula. So you look at that. As far as the Sixers go, you know, they do have big names. They do have MB. They do have Harden. Even Maxi was great in the first round. But they're a defensive team too, right? I mean, they're a defensive-laden team also. So when you have two defensive teams going up against each other, they're perfectly fine with first to 100 kind of wins. They're perfectly fine playing those kind of defensive struggles. That's something you have to look at, which brings me to the Suns-Mavericks. Now, look, the Suns blew them out by 30 in uh, Game 5. I get it. But the Suns are always looked at as that offensive team. 
everyone wants to put CP3 among you know the leaders of everything and top all time and all that. And Devin Booker's very good. But the Suns were one of the best defensive teams in the league. They held teams to 107 points per game. Dallas really stepped up in the playoffs. Dallas's defense in the playoffs has been exceptionally good. Although all we do is look at Luka and look at what Luka can do offensively and what Luka can do this way and how he distributes and what kind of rebounds. And is Luka going to get a triple-double? It's all we concentrate on is the Luka show for good reason. I mean, the guy is fantastic. But again, two defensive teams that have no problem playing that tight, really, really tough, really good defense. Well, when you start to get that, you start to look at these unders and people are seemingly shocked that we're getting unders in the NBA. People are shocked that two teams that come in with a defensive mindset are pushing up unders. Why? Why are we shocked at this, guys? It doesn't make any sense. You know, when you are going into and you get tighter into these games and you're going into a game five, a crucial game five make or break, a game six, a game seven, into next round, because look, next round, you're going to have defensive teams. When you start going that way, you've got to start looking at these unders. The public is getting crushed on unders because everybody wants scoring. Everybody wants overs. And they're putting out soft lines. They're putting out 214s. They're putting out 216s. They're putting out soft lines, which is baiting the public to go in. I'm telling you guys, unders in the playoffs are always the way to go. But we have a lot of very good defensive teams. Boston Celtics, number one defensive team in the league. The Bucks, top 10 since the playoffs began. And they've been top 10 over the last couple of years. The Sixers are a defensive-minded team. We've watched what Dallas can do. Miami's clearly a defensive team. The Phoenix Suns only allow 107 points per game. So outside the Warriors-Grizzlies, by the way, the Warriors' defense is fantastic also. But outside that series, really... You know, this is all teams that are going, no, we want to play defense. Defense first. Outside of really the Grizzlies. I mean, I don't even want to say the Warriors. The Warriors are the Splash Splash Brothers or the Splash Trio now and all of that. But the Warriors are a very good defensive team. Top 10 every, every year that they won the championship and top 10 this year when healthy, they were top five. So again, we're going defense, defense, and defense. And I think people are missing the boat on that. So that's something to pay attention to in the NBA moving forward is really start finding the value in these unders. All right, let's go to the NHL. And again, I'm going to go look to uh, Bet Rivers here. They got the NHL championship odds up right now. Colorado plus 175. I mean, how can you argue with it, right? Uh, if you heard the Calgary head coach, he said, yeah, playing the Calgary, playing the Colorado Avalanche in the first round of the playoffs is a waste of eight days because he's like, you know, they're going to crush you. And that's what they did. Swept him out of the building, plus 175. Florida is still up there, plus 550. Calgary, 7-1. to one. Toronto, 8-1. to one. Carolina, 10-1. to one. And, and then you get into the bigger odds of most of those teams. And you're looking at most of these series. They're, they've gone very exciting. They've gone to a point of hey, this is good for the hockey fan. But they've not gone according to plan, I would say, according to most hockey fans, right? I don't think anybody would have ever imagined that Igor and the Rangers would have been, he would have been pulled, yanked, yanked three games in a row. The Penguins would score. Uh, I mean, like we've we've never seen this season. The Penguins are doing things against the number two defense in the NHL and the number one goalie, probably uh, the trophy winner, right? Number one goalie. They're doing things unbelievable. They scored 14 goals in two games, guys. 14 goals in two games for the Penguins. That's unbelievable. 
So that certainly didn't go the way that people believed. I thought the Rangers were definitely going to win. I was all in on Igor. I was completely in on, on Fox and Panarin, and I loved what they could do. I, I really did. I was 100% sold on the Rangers. I don't even know what to make of this series. I mean, I really don't. The Penguins just found something that no other team could find this entire season, and that is just success against Igor on this defense to the likes that he's never witnessed, I, I, probably in his entire career. He's never witnessed this kind of just barrage of just shots and made shots and goals against him. Panthers, Capitals. You know, this one could be chalked up to the Capitals having that veteran presence. I mean, that's really what it could be chalked up to. But I also think that the the Panthers had a lot on their shoulders. We've seen time and time again. Go ask the Tampa Bay Lightning. We have watched time and time again that the pressure of the President's Trophy on your shoulders can weigh you down. And I think that the Panthers are a young team. The Panthers are a young team that had little to no problems this year. And one of the signatures of the Panthers, look, I took the Panthers before the year, 18 to 1 odds to win it all. I like the Panthers before the playoffs. I said, I'm not getting off of this. I still think that they win. I still like them to win it all. But one of the problems that the Panthers had was one of their most distinct characteristics this year, and that's coming from behind. I mean, how many times did we sit back and watch them down three goals, down four goals, come from behind? Oh, man, that mighty Panthers team. And wow. Well, against a veteran-laden team in the playoffs, those shots just don't happen. That doesn't come out. That just It's just not something that you see. And the Capitals have been able to frustrate Florida in that respect. You look at all the games. They are not exactly the high-scoring Panthers. Again, look, game one, they went out and scored four. Uh, game three, they scored six. But these games are being played at Washington's pace. These games are being played the way Washington wants to dictate the pace. So I think for the Panthers moving forward, they need to start dictating the pace of the game if they want any success. They, they really need to. Flames, Stars, look, this is another one where I, I think the Stars are playing way o- over their head. There's not a lot here to sit back, back and kind of pinpoint to and say, okay, well, that's the problem with the Flames. Flames were very good 50 wins over the course of the season. They have been playing their style of hockey. Their style of hockey is play really, really good defense, keep those scores low, And basically, just my stars are going to outshine your stars, which over the course of the season, that worked beautifully for them. In game one, they won 1-0. That's exactly what the Flames want. In game two, they lost 2-0. But it's a game and a game plan that the Flames want. The Flames want that kind of grinded-out type of game. The other two games, you you look back and you go, okay, they're a little bit more, I guess, high-scoring than the Flames wanted. But let's not make too much about them. Um, they are playing the pace that they want. Sometimes when you play that pace, things just kind of get lost. And that's really what happened here. Bruins, Hurricanes. Hurricanes are a team that, look, uh, you know, they own the Bruins all year long. They own the Bruins. The Hurricanes are the best defense in the league. But again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say the Bruins had a lot of what the Washington Capitals did. And that's just that veteran moxie. They've been here. They understand what to do when they're here. I look at Carolina and I say, hey, you are the better team, sure. But your style of hockey leads to, again, young team, not that number one guy. You get into a little bit of pressure situation. Your back's against the wall. You look across the way and you see all champions and all winners and everybody that's been in this league for so long. Maple Leafs Lightning, I said this was going seven. I kind of wish this was the championship. This has been a fantastic 
fantastic, fantastic series. Matthews has stepped up. Marner stepped up. When they needed the most in Game 5, Marner and Matthews both stepped up. The Maple Leafs, you know, look, they are 0-13 in closeout games. They had to get this monkey off their back. They had to get that done. The Lightning are the veteran team. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about when we talked about the Maple Leafs, I said, I don't know if they get out of this first round, but if they do... I don't know if they're going to be able to be stopped. And that's kind of the the confidence level that you see progressing in the series. As the series went on, you watch the Maple Leafs saying, no, 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 we got this. We can win. That Game 5 win against the championship team down in that game, the way that the Maple Leafs came back, should be all the confidence that this team needs to, to win the Cup. I mean, that really should be it. And you saw Matthews and Marner completely take over. That's what they did. They took this game over. They took this series over. And it wouldn't shock me if they took the playoffs over moving forward. Lots of scoring. We knew that. I told you. We're going to take the over uh, in just about every game. Lots of scoring. It's going to be lots of scoring with the Leafs. They just feel like, okay, that's our brand of hockey, and we're okay with it. The Wild and the Blues. St. Louis shocking the Wild here. Um, You know, I guess giving a better series than people believed. St. Louis, I told you, plus money. I was taking them. So I gave that to you guys out here. I, I took them plus the money. They were plus 140 on the money line for the series. I liked them. I just didn't believe in the Wild. And, and I, not that I believed in the Blues, but I'm getting plus money back with that. And I think the series kind of went the way that I expected them to. Moving forward, neither one of these teams were going to do anything in the next round for me anyway, so it didn't really make much of a difference. But you can make a little money on that first round. And then the Oilers and Kings, I, I don't even know what to say. I, I just don't even know what to say. Looking back at Game 5, I wrote to my buddy Tim. I said, I, this could be soul-crushing if the Oilers lose. Because the way that they came back, they, they said, okay, look, we're going throwing everything out the window. Let Leon and Connor go absolutely nuts here. Uh, Drysaddle had a terrible game up until that point. Let them go crazy. And they did. Not only tied the game, took the lead, and everything was great. Oh, pushed it to overtime. at In overtime, at home, after a huge comeback, third period comeback, McDavid looked unstoppable, Dreisaitl looked great, here we go, and the Kings won and scored within a minute. It was like, a, it was like I think it was within a minute and 30 seconds. I mean, it was unbelievable. And you knew it right away. I said, you know, why is McDavid still out there? He couldn't get to the bench. What's going on? The Oilers are just completely and utterly out of sync. They're out of sync. And the Kings, I again, here, I don't want to disparage the team, but this is more of the Oilers playing poorly than the Kings playing good. So again, here we go. Moving on to the next round. Do you see either one of these teams being any sort of threat to a Colorado Avalanche? Yeah, I mean, right now, we, we know the bugaboo about the Avalanche, and we know uh, kind of they have the same sort of checkered history and uh uh-oh they're up against history that uh, the maple leaves are sort of facing here but the reality is is that they are the best team and they are i mean they 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 just look unstoppable they look absolutely unstoppable they could have laid down in game five or game four against nashville and pushed it to a game five at home and no big deal but they didn't they kept coming back they kept coming back on the road Uh, the avalanche just are unbelievably impressive and the more that i see from the western conference teams i'm going they should have no problem. I can't imagine that they would have any problem going into next week and, and moving forward. So I know the abs were the chalk. The abs are still the chalk. I get it. Uh, how can you not? I mean, plus 175 looks like a gift right now, right? Again, I just read it off. Bet Rivers right now, plus 175 for the avalanche. They look like a gift. And it looks like an absolute gift. 
All right, guys. Look, when we sit back and we talk about hockey, we're going to have to kind of reassess things, and we're going to have to jumble up the series and everything else. But I want to give you kind of kind of an idea where I'm sitting and and where I'm kind of looking at each each game and moving forward. I know it's into the future, but I wanted to kind of say, okay, look, this is what I think into the future is looking at, and it just looks like the Avalanche are unstoppable. But that's the future. Now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the the future. future. All right, guys, let's go bet to the future. And we're going to stay with the baseball theme here and talk about AL Cy Young Award numbers. AL Cy Young Award numbers right now. Justin Verlander is leading the charge at 6-1. Kevin Gaussman, plus 650. Garrett Cole, 7-1. Shane Bieber is also 7-1. Dylan Cease is plus 750. Shohei Otani is 10-1. Alex Manoa is 10-1. Shane McClanahan is 12-1. Logan Gilbert is 18-1. Lucas Giolito and Noah Syndergaard close it out at 20-1. And that is bet to the future. Now, guys, I got to tell you, uh, there's no Nestor Cortez, <laughs> who's who's... At 55 to 1, and he's got better numbers than uh, Gary Cole does right now. I mean, Nesta Cortez, six games pitched, 32 innings, 1.41 ERA, 42 strikeouts. That's better than Gary Cole, who's at 30 innings, 2.67 ERA, 37 strikeouts. Uh, you want you want some value? How about Nestor Cortez and that, that fantastic mustache? You get to bet on that fantastic mustache. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. I, I, look, why not? Throw some money on Nestor Cortez. I I think he's for real. I don't think it's a gimmick anymore. I think it's for real. All right, guys. The NFL schedule was released this week, and usually this is a bigger event than... I mean, it's a bigger hoopla than it is really an event, right? I mean, people come in, and they get all excited about it. When are they going to do it? And I get it. Look, for people that want to travel, for ticket season holders... um, for people that are going out there and trying to plan their next year's schedule and their winter schedule around the games, yeah, it's huge. But for the sports fan, you're trying to find, okay, what am I going to do this day? Oh, what am I going to watch that day? So it gets kind of fun, but from a sports betting perspective, you really got to dig in deep to find some interesting numbers and something that could help us in the betting landscape. I did just that, so let's take a look. There's a couple of interesting games right away that, that kind of just jump out there. I mean, we know that the Rams are playing on Thursday night to open it up on week one. But you go to week two, and here is where something that you can talk about as a sports better and kind of having a little bit of a mindset to have the advantage. In week two, Chargers at Chiefs is going to be the 820 game or they're going another Thursday night game. That's going to be a heavily bet game. A lot of people are going to come out of the gates like every single season and really get crushed in week one. Week one, really week one to four, usually the public gets destroyed. But usually week one because they're so in tune with what happened last year. And I think that this is going to be a great shot to potentially take it under. This game is going to be billed, and it is going to be pushed. It's now on the Amazon Prime Network. It's on Thursday night. It's the only game out there. It is going to be pushed and pushed and pushed as Mahomes against Herbert, two of the top five uh, right now when you're talking about odds for MVP, two of the top five in the MVP odds. I know Bet Rivers has both of them in the top five in the MVP odds. Both of them with high-flying offenses. They're going to show highlights of the last couple of times they've met and, wow, all the touchdowns. And you're not going to see any of the defenses. What we do know is this. Look, the Chiefs, well, they kind of reinvented themselves a little bit this offseason. Tyreek Hill is gone. 
Juju Smith-Schuster is in. He's clearly not the deep threat. They said, no, no problem. We're going to do a lot more slanting patterns. They brought in different running backs. No problem. We're going to try to establish the run a little bit more. Flip the ball out of the backfield a little bit more. The Chargers, meanwhile, well... They're probably going to still be a high-flying team, of course. But on the defensive end, they brought in Khalil Mack. So they understand, look, we have two great pass rushers. We have a really good safety. I think that this is going to be a very inflated line. And if you're looking at inflated lines early on in the season, this is probably one that I'm going to be looking at the under just because the way it'll be hyped up, just because it's early in the season, just because it's on Thursday night, and because of who's involved. We also know on the Monday night game, September 19th, Texans, I'm sorry, Titans at Bills, Vikings at Eagles. Yeah, I don't really see something here. I mean, the Bills will be favored at home. Everybody remembers what happened with them last season. I don't really see an angle here. Vikings at Eagles could be interesting because I think that the hype of the Eagles is going to really ramp up here in June, July, August. I think we're going to see the hype of the Eagles really surpass what they are. And the Vikings are weirdly that team that's kind of flying under the radar. The Vikings are a team that I talked about a couple of times on a few different shows where I already see value in them. They still bring back a healthy Delvin Cook. Uh, Nobody likes Kirk Cousins. The guy does win games out there. Justin Jefferson seems unguardable. They get Irv Smith back. Uh, We've had his dad on the show. We get Irv Smith back for that show. Their defense is revamped. I think the Vikings could be an interesting plus money underdog there. We go to week four, Vikings-Saints. This is going to be the London game, 9.30 a.m. game. We know overseas it's a little bit difficult. 9.30 a.m. is going to be a weird clock for both of them. Both of them, not only uh, is it a weird clock, but it's also neither one of them are East Coast teams, so it's even more of a weird clock for both of them. Yeah, I don't know. I I have to see this game. As much as I do like the Vikings, I'm saying that I think there's some value there. I need to see what the Saints are going to be. I know Jameis Winston said, you know, he's going to be growing a beard to kind of grab the power of Samson from the Bible. And I mean, the guy is an eccentric dude, but he can play when he's on. We'll see how that one pans out. I probably will stay away from that one. Not because I have to wake up early in the morning. I'll be up anyway. <laughs> Just because it's an interesting game, to be honest with you. How about Sunday, October 9th? Giants at Packers. This one is in London also. Now, they're sending Aaron Rodgers to London, which is a weird situation that you would be doing that. And the, they are the home team in that case. I think the Giants could represent a little bit of value here. I expect by then the Packers to look really good. I expect Aaron Rodgers to be clicking right away. As always, it just seems to me that when the Packers leave Lambeau and they go on these different time zones and, and they do things out from the East Coast and whatnot, and they get a little out of sync. They still play well and they still win games. But it depends on what the line's going to be. I expect them to be at least a touchdown underdog. I think the Giants could be a surprise team this year as well for covering purposes, not for winning purposes. Sunday, October 30th, day before Halloween, Broncos-Jaguars. That one's in London as well at 9.30 a.m. Jaguars are used to this. The Jags, look, I know it's a new young team, but a lot of their personnel are used to it. They know how to deal with this. The Broncos are going over there. They're going to have all kinds of hype. Now, it is week eight, so we're going to sort of know what kind of teams these are. Again, I'm sort of looking at the underdog here, and I'm sort of looking at the under. I think this is going to be billed as Russell Wilson against Trevor Lawrence, where it really is the Broncos' defense against a revamped Jaguars' defense. But week eight, it's kind of hard to speculate that far in advance, which is why I said, you know, for sports betters, the schedule release, it's fun. But a lot of this stuff in advance, eh, you kind of take a step back. 
Sunday, November 13th, Seahawks at Bucks. That's in Munich, Germany. Yeah, that, that's in Munich. 9.30 a.m. again, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson in Munich. This one will be billed as overall day. But I don't really see an angle here. I know that the Bengals' defense should be good. It's week 10. We'll know more by then. Cowboys at Packers, by the way, also 425. I know a lot of people are focused on that. A lot of people are saying it's kind of the Packers, uh, the Cowboys' revenge game against the Packers or what they did, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I can't buy into that. I think the Cowboys do take a step back this year, and I expect that the Packers take a step back as well. So that is a Week 10 game. I got to see the first nine weeks to make a determination there. 49ers Cardinals in Mexico City at 8:15. Here's an over game. It's an over game not because of the Niners and Cardinals, and I don't really care about Trey Lance or what he's going to be. None of it matters to me because Mexico City has massive altitude. So if he's a serviceable quarterback at that point, I expect points. It's a sloppy field usually. They don't really like to to go out there, especially in Mexico City. We've seen huge numbers, huge air numbers. They don't like to kind of grind it out between the tackles. Neither one of these teams are a team that is going to shy away from putting up some offense, and neither team is going to shy away from running the ball, even the Cardinals. But I do see some scoring in that one. It'll be interesting to check it out. How about Thanksgiving? Uh, we know, oh, okay, Lions, Cowboys, whatever. I, I mean, I don't get crazy about the Thanksgiving games. Christmas game, I will get excited about. And this one's on Nickelodeon, by the way. It's on CBS and Nickelodeon. But if you have kids, you can watch it on Christmas with the slime vision and all that. Broncos, Rams. Well, here we go. Russell Wilson will be going up against a Rams team that he's pretty familiar with, and the Rams are familiar with him. I think this is a pretty good Christmas Day game that they are giving us here. Again, it's Christmas. It's week 16. I'm going to have 15 weeks to kind of figure that out. So I'm not jumping on top of it. So from a betting perspective, I think you have to look at, you know, they used to say Bill Belichick used to cut the season into four portions. In the first four weeks of the NFL schedule, what he used to do is use that as almost an extended spring training or summer training and a practice. The first four weeks, it was evaluating his team. Let's come up with what we have, uh, taking a look at what that team is going to be. And that's what Bill Belichick used to do. I always tell sports bettors, do the same thing. Weeks one, two, three, and four, yeah, you can make money, but don't go over your head. Kind of reevaluate what are these teams and sort of figure it out. So I'm not really taking a game and and kind of focusing on it after week four right away because I'll know what these teams are in the first four weeks, or I think I'll have a pretty good indication of what these teams are in the first four weeks. So that gives us a couple opportunities. Like I said, week four, depending on how it looks, I think the Vikings are going to represent in weeks uh, two and four. Vikings are in prime time. At Eagles, at Saints, they will be the underdog in both games no matter how they really start, even if they start 4-0 or 3-0 up until, until that point. It doesn't matter. The Vikings on the road. Vikings in prime time. We know the story about Kirk Cousins in prime time. Well, you know what? Week four, it's not really prime time. It's 9.30 a.m. The Monday night game is Eagles are going to be very hyped up. I do believe the Saints are going to be a little bit more hyped than they should be. I'm looking at both of those opportunities to probably grab the Vikings plus some points if it turns out to be what I think. And really, you know, to me, the thing that jumped out early on in this schedule from a sports betting perspective is that Chiefs-Chargers game Thursday, September 15th, I just think that the line is going to be absolutely massive because of what they believe these guys are going to put up. And I think that we're looking at two teams that have tremendous offenses, tremendous gunslingers at quarterback, sure, but I think their offenses are going to take a little while to kind of gel this year, and they are both more defensive-oriented than I've seen them in years. 
So I'm looking at the under. If you get an over-under, I'm just throwing this out there, at 54 and a half, 54 and a half, 55? I mean, you have to take the under there. Now, if they open it up, they're not going to open it up at like 48, 49. It's going to be over 50. If they open it up at like 51, maybe I have a pause. But I think I'm right, and I'm just purely speculating here. But I think when we look in our app and we go check out the app and we go to whatever app you use, Bet Rivers right now is what we've been talking about. You go to the Bet Rivers app, I'm going to look and I'm going to say, yeah, here we go. You look at this and you say, I think we're going to see a 54 or more. 54 and a half, 55, could be 56. I mean, it depends on how these offenses explode in week one, but we could see that. And if we do see that, being the standalone game on Thursday, being Herbert, being Mahomes, prop plays are going to go crazy, prop odds are going to be all over the place, and that game and that game's total is going to be pretty huge. And we're forgetting, oh, by the way, they lost Tyree Kill. Khalil Mack is now part of that team. I think the Chargers are going to be a good under team this year because of the structure of their team and the way that they're going to play really good defense. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me again. Thank you very much to Jim Cott, the now Hall of Famer Jim Cott. That's good to say. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.